Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Rodney here with The Ville Church. Just excited this morning to be with you. Um, I want to be able to take this time to just say thank you for uh, coming together and hearing the word. And those of you that don't know, we've, we've rolled out a Bible reading plan and we're basically reading the Bible every day in the word. And then we gather together in our squads to be able to share that. Those of you that don't know what a squad is, it's basically our small groups where we come together. It's being the church throughout the week to, with one another. We believe that's very encouraging and helpful and how God has designed us to be in relationship with one another. So this is your first time tuning in. Hit our website. Uh, if you want to be in a squad, please let us know. Send us an email. We have different ones that, that meet at different times throughout the week. Um, I want to pray for us before we get into the word today. And I want to just ask that God will help us uh, in this time. So let's pray. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that's here listening and that is tuning in. And that God, that you would hear our prayers, that, that we would be able to um, connect with you right now and that you would clear everything from us other than our attention to you. And that, um, Father, out of this time with you, that people would hear from you, that they would um, receive healing and receive encouragement. That they would know that they're so loved by you and that you're one that has a beautiful, awesome message and good news. And so I just pray for us all. I pray for myself, a sinner that needs your help right now to speak the word to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to all those that are listening at this time. I pray for this now in Jesus' name. So I've been uh, seeing a few videos lately uh, that have come across um, me, and uh, I've seen that there are people that are arguing, um, even getting violent, uh, for whatever reason, whatever uh, situation that they're in, uh, something maybe that they believe in, something that they're supporting, uh, something they're against. And I also have seen over social media, you know, families, friends, uh, Christians, non-Christians, just, you know, arguing the same way over social, on social media over different topics. And it's become very uh, uh, concerning to me. It's been something that's been playing in my mind over and over again. And I just think about the church and I think about, you know, what is there? What is the church's reaction? You know, what, what, what's our church? What, what, how are they to deal with this? What, what, would, what does the word of God say? How can we react the way God would want us to react and deal with situations that are difficult? And so as we've been on our reading Bible plan, we've been reading through the book of John. And I just as going back to see the situation that came across to Jesus, situation that he was put in. And this situation was when the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And we're going to pick that up in John chapter 8, verse 1 in the Bible. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered. And he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd 
right there before Jesus. And they said, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stood, stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding and answering. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accuser had heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus says, neither do I go and sin no more. First off, obviously there was wrong that was done. That's the first thing we can observe is there was wrong that was done. There was wrong on the part of the woman, but there's also wrong on the part of those that were bringing her to trap Jesus. Now, how do we know that something was wrong? As a believer, we know that something is wrong because we know that it, how do we know when something is wrong ourselves is when we know that it's against God's instruction in his holy word. God's holy word is his instruction, is his love letter to us to let us know, just as a loving parent will let a child know what would hurt them, what would be right, and what would be wrong. And so if it's against God's word for the believer, that's what we know when it's right or wrong. The problem is, is for those that don't believe in God, um, and I'm not saying all of them, but many people believe that right and wrong is determined by the person and what they think is right and wrong, by each and every one of us, according to whatever we feel or whatever we think or whatever we say right and wrong. In other words, we don't get it from a moral lawgiver. We don't get it from God to tell us we get to make up what we believe, what is right and wrong. But here's where there's a problem with that. There are people that actually believe to sacrifice their own children is right. And that's how it gets dark really quick. How is it for me if I truly believe that right and wrong is determined by the person, by the individual, to go and tell them and that people in that culture and say, hey, it's wrong to sacrifice your children. Because there is no God to get our right and wrong from and you get to make it up as you go along the way. That's something to keep in mind as we start to think about what is really right and what is wrong. That's not what this sermon is about, but we do find that here. We do find the Pharisees saying, what should we do? There's something wrong that happened here. And we know that something wrong happened. Now, how about... Um, so, the second thing, I'm sorry... The people who brought the woman did not see her as a person who could repent, who could change her mind, who could turn from her sins. But they saw someone that they could make an example out of. They were using her as an object or a barrier. In other words, hey, I need you to get out of my way so I can do what I want. That's a barrier or an object. I need you to give me something that I want. So they were using her as an example to get something from her. 
They wanted to make an example out of her. They wanted to use her to get to Jesus, to trap him. So they didn't see a person when they brought her. They didn't, they didn't care about her. Now, at this point, it's easy to turn and judge those that were ready to cast a stone, those that had rocks in their hands. It's very easy to judge them. But here's the thing, that each and every one of us, at some point in our lives, maybe now, maybe in the future, could be like one of those ready to cast the first stone. And sometimes we've done it with our words, with our thoughts, right? And especially when we say, I could never do that. But given the right circumstances, given the, the right upbringing or, or certain circumstances or the certain upbringing, given um, different things that we begin to, to believe that may not be true, could get us to a point that we too would pick up a rock and say, you know what? That person deserves to be condemned. Now, I want to draw your attention to a couple of examples that we find actually in the Bible where people have done this, where they've come to the point, not just this time with this woman, but a couple other times. One was going to happen to our Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of uh, John, chapter 11, verses 45 to 50, we find this is just right after Jesus goes to, uh, had just brought Lazarus back to life, one of his friends. So here's a man that was dead for three days, and he brings him back to life. And so we pick up where they're talking about this in John chapter 11, verse 45. It says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what he had did and believed in him. I mean, who would not believe if you could see Jesus bringing someone that was dead for three days back to life? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. In verse 48, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Verse 49 says, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. And verse 50 says, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not for the whole nation should perish. So here we find these Jewish leaders contemplating if everything, if this all gets out, they're going to start believing Jesus and then everyone's going to believe Jesus. But somehow they had some tie to the Roman government where they got some special privilege or maybe special um, safety or care where they were able to do what they wanted to do because they truly believed that if people came to believe in Jesus, that the Romans would come and take over and destroy their temple and destroy them as a people. So they're afraid of losing something. They're afraid. And that was their motivation to say, it's better that we kill Jesus, the perfect man of God. So now, the perfect man, the perfect God, right? Here's a second example. And it's from an example of Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle now, the one that reads, wrote most of the New Testament epistles, one that has probably planted more churches and is responsible for more people coming to Christ, God using him, obviously, to do this, at one time was one that persecuted God's people. I'm not sure if you know about that. We find this, the, this in the book of Acts, a book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 3. It says, but Saul, and that was his name before he turned to Paul, was going everywhere to destroy the church. There you go. 
They asked someone so zealous for what they believed, even if it was wrong, to be able to go and destroy God's very own people. All his people that are now following Jesus. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Verses, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 through 5 says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats. So there we see the threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers who are of the way. It's funny because the name of the church or what they described the church was the way. As Jesus says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He wanted to bring, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. But see, there's something that happens after this as he's on his way. Verse 3 says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven, heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. So when it came to Paul coming to believe in Christ, it took God intervening and making that possible. So we can not make anyone believe in Christ. That's the example here is that God had to intervene for this person that was so eager, right? He was so eager to go and persecute because why he believed in that. He believed that was, was right. And sometimes when we believe certain things that are right, it can drive us to do things to even hurt others. But what's comforting here is that when it comes to believing in Christ, it's not something we can force. I love that about God. I love that about the gospel is that we're never going to make anyone and never does never does do we find Jesus making anyone believe. He invites them. He tells them the truth, right? But he doesn't make them. And without God, it's impossible for people to come and believe in Christ. So in both of these examples, we find that people will go through great lengths for causes, for things that they believe that's right and wrong. I want to say this. I want to say it so it said to the church, to the Ville church, and to all that claim that they are believers, is that it is never, ever okay for a believer to hurt someone verbally or physically for any cause or any reason. I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm talking about because someone doesn't follow or believe or disagrees, it's not okay for us to verbally or physically hurt anyone. And I just want to say it so it's said. Um, this is not Jesus's way at all. As a matter of fact, in one of the times when they went to go pick up Jesus, the soldiers, it was a time where if there was any time he was going to defend himself, it could have been then, right at his arrest. He was innocent. And there was nothing wrong in him healing people and helping people. So Peter goes for his sword and goes to take out the soldier, misses the soldier's neck and cuts his ear off. Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on the soldier, tells Peter, put your knife away. For those that live by the sword, die by the sword. Such opposite of what we see today. So now that 
was Jesus's reaction. We, we know what Jesus's reaction was. He does not, one of the things is that he does not respond right away. It says that he stoops down. And that's interesting because most of us want us to want to rise up when we're ever in a situation like that. But he stoops down. And I think that's, that's interesting because um, it causes a person to actually bring down their defenses is when you stoop down. And then he stands and says that, he has, that anyone that has not sinned to cast the first stone. I don't think anyone saw that coming. I know I wouldn't have. When I'm in a situation, I'm not going to say that, right, normally. But Jesus' response was in no way justifying the wrong. That's the other thing. He wasn't justifying what was wrong, what had happened. He was actually showing grace to those who were condemning this woman, and he was also showing grace to the woman herself by saying, hey, if any one of you has never sinned, go ahead and cast the first stone. Why is it, or why do I say it was, he was showing even those that were condemning grace? It's because he was saying that they were sinners, right? This is one thing that we need to get, or one other thing we need to get, is that the people of God, for the people of God, it's so important that we understand that letting people know that they are sinners like we are sinners is a very moving thing, is a very loving thing, and is a very graceful thing. Something that we should do. And what everyone else wants to tell us is that it's mean, and it's hurtful, and it's even hateful when you say, hey, anyone that's not sinned, cast the first stone. You're basically saying everyone is sinners. Why is it so loving? Because Jesus did not come to condemn the world. But he knew that they were already guilty. See, he didn't rub it in their face. He didn't tell them, hey, you guys are so messed up. He was just saying the obvious. You got to know that, we, that you have sinned and that every person on this earth has sinned. And there's no one that's perfect. And we see, we also don't see Jesus, again, rubbing in their face or saying things that are mean to them. He stoops to the ground and he just writes in the dirt. We can say that he stoops down, he lowers himself and is not defensive or offensive. He is gentle. But what did he bring? He brought the gospel. See, this is why the gospel is so offensive to humans because of pride, we want to say that somehow we're right. In that moment, the people that had the stones want to say, we're right, she's wrong. And I've been trying to do right all my life. And because I've been trying to do right all my life and be a good person and pull myself up on my own bootstraps and achieve whatever I'm trying to achieve, then I'm right with God. In other words, they wanted to pay off God for his righteousness. They wanted to cheapen God's holiness and perfectness down to some kind of human act, as in catching someone in their wrong and then saying, I'm going to go and stone them for them doing wrong. See, we think that catching people in their wrong and throwing stones makes us right. 
that we can pull ourselves up, right? And sometimes that includes condemning others by pulling others down. But Jesus said, whoever has not sinned. And that's the thing with the gospel. The gospel is good news because we've all sinned. And the good news is that if we believe that Jesus Christ died for all that sin, and that's who Jesus died for. He didn't die for those that didn't sin. He died for those that did sin. And all of our sin was placed on him. So therefore, he pays the penalty that we should pay. He's the one that gets stoned. He's the one that dies for our sins. And he was, he was pointing them to grace and to mercy. He was pointing the woman to mercy and grace as well. So if you're to take a moment to place yourself next to someone in this story, let's take a moment and think about this. If you were to place yourself with anyone in this story right now, who would it be with? Would it be next to the woman who's caught? Or maybe you're saying, I'm not like either one. I'm not the one that's done wrong that's caught. And I'm not the one holding the stone. I'm not doing bad things. And I'm not condemning. But when Jesus says, he who is without sin, then where do you stand? Where do you stand at that point? So when it comes to topics that are important, like politics, racism, law enforcement, judicial system, it's vital that we respond with the gospel in mind, with the gospel at the forefront. We should always keep believing and thinking, if we are without sin, cast the first stone. And then how can we help others and share this good news that, hey, we've all sinned, right? That at the end of the day, whoever's in the room, no matter who you're in the room with, no matter who you're having a conversation online with, no matter who it is that's on the other side of the phone, whoever's in the room, that we're all image bearers of God. And that whoever's there are all sinners, including ourselves. And we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. Not just the one that had the rock, and not just the one that was found and caught, but we all do. So let's look at the words again that Jesus spoke to the woman. In verse 10, he says, see those, um, he says this, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? So right there, he's pointing out, man, you were wrong, right? There's no question about that. But now where are the people that are accusing you. Where are you being condemned? So instead of condemning her, he actually removes the condemnation and he removes the accuser. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus removing the accusation before the Father and before this world that we are condemned no more. That Jesus paid for our condemnation. He paid for our sins. And he was condemned. 
It was the Father's wrath that was poured on Jesus. We switched places. He took the cross, and we were able to walk away free, free from condemnation. And that's what Jesus does. He removes the condemnation and removes our accusation. So I'm not sure where you're at in your life right now. I'm not sure what you've done in your life. But it doesn't matter where you're at or what you've done. God forgives sins. He removes the condemnation. Maybe you've been beating yourself up over what type of parent you think you've been. Maybe you've been beating yourself up over what kind of son you've been, what kind of daughter you've been, what kind of father, what kind of husband, right? Maybe it's in your school that you've been trying to achieve and you can't get there. Maybe it's somewhere in your workplace or you've been to multiple jobs and multiple workplaces because things haven't worked out right. Maybe right now you're going through some type of sickness, some type of trial that's beyond anything you can think and you think you deserve it because you think you did something wrong. He says to the woman, where's your condemnation? Where's your accusers? And what else does he say? He says, neither I condemn you. Neither does he. Neither does Jesus. See, if there was someone here that could have picked up the rock, it was Jesus. If there was someone here that could say she is condemned, it would be Jesus. Because he was holy. Because he was God. He had never done anything wrong. That's the only one that can do that. Now he is saying, woman, I see you. I see you, and I'm here to save you from your sins by forgiving you. Where do you guys stand now? Where do I stand now? I want to stand there with her. I want Jesus to look at me and say, I see you. I see you, and I am saving you, and I forgive you. So is that the message that people get from us when we're talking to them? Do they get the message that they too can be forgiven? That they too are seen by us? That they're not just an object, but that we're trying to help them to see that the gospel removes our fear, our condemnation, our anger, our self-righteousness, our self-justification, our working hard and trying better to do what's right, to become right, that we can never achieve. The most tragic thing that happened here, or that is pointed out, is not those that brought the woman and tried to trap Jesus. And it's not even that they had stones in their hand ready to throw at her. The most tragic thing here in this situation is that the people walked away from Christ and they walked away from her. That's the most tragic. She sees good. She's been forgiven. She believes in the one that saved her. But they walked away, never seeing her and never seeing Christ. They too did not have to walk away. They could have stood there and said, what? When they saw the reflection of their own face in the face of this woman, 
They should have not just dropped their rocks, but they should have dropped to their knees and asked her forgiveness because they were about to kill her. They're about to take her life. But they missed it. And that's what's most tragic is that people that go after whatever they think is right and whatever their cause is, and they miss the gospel. They miss the people that they're actually trying to maybe protect or get a point across so that way it's better in their eyes and whatever they think they're doing. And they miss the person themselves. They miss salvation for what they're really looking for. See, we do things not just because we think of them in out of the blue air, but we think somehow that's what makes life right. But nothing makes life right other than the gospel. Jesus is the only one that makes life right. This would have spoken volumes to this woman. It would have said, you're a person made in the very image of God and you're of infinite value. Imagine if they would have done that. Imagine they would put their rocks down and begin to ask her for forgiveness and say, I'm so sorry that I was there ready to stone you. I'm so sorry I was ready to take your life to get what I wanted. I was ready to get you out of the way. And I looked at you as an object, as a barrier to what I needed to get to. I didn't see you as an image bearer. This woman was maybe someone's mother. Maybe she was someone's sister, daughter. Maybe she was someone's teacher or neighbor or friend. Who knows? See, the answer that Jesus gives is that not just this woman, but every one of us, we're all caught in our sins. And we need someone to deliver us from the righteous, holy judgment of God. This means that there will never be anyone who will ever be able to be justified in picking up a stone. See, the fruit of the gospel is that God puts a new heart in man. It just doesn't stop with just forgiveness. That's the, that's the heart of it, is that Jesus forgives us, right? He, but he rises on the third day so that as he has new life, he conquers this flesh to give us new life. What do you mean by conquer this flesh? Conquers all the urges and desires that, are, that go against what he wants, that are living inside of us. And the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of believing, there's a promise that God gives, and it's called regeneration. That means he regenerates or makes a brand new heart, as it says, and puts it in us, a heart that would want to love God and obey God. That's what they missed out on. See, even if you put laws and systems in place that removes racism on the outside, those things do not have the power to remove it from the heart of man. Let me say that again. Even if we pass and, and work on every single system or law to be able to remove or to, to minimize or to stop racism on the outside, even as just as society and culture, it never has the power to remove the racism that's in our hearts, that's in the heart of man. In the same way, we can put laws and systems in place, training, 
for police and police brutality on the outside, but you cannot remove it from the heart of a person on the inside. So you can put laws and systems in place fit for fill in the blanks. I mean, there's so many topics and things that are going on that we've spoken about. You can put laws and system, change laws and change systems and put them in place, make them better. And that's what we want. We want things to be cultivated, right? We want to cultivate. Something isn't working, we want to make it better. God says for us to rule and to cultivate, to make it as it's in heaven on earth. It's never going to be that way. We know that. But we are to cultivate it and work towards that end. Not for salvation. Not because heaven's going to be like this. Heaven's going to be on earth. But we are responsible for what we have that we're overseeing, right? But, and we're supposed to work to that. And that's what we want. But no matter what law or what system, it does not have the power to change the heart of man. That doesn't mean we just give up and don't do anything. But it does mean this is that it's only God that can change the heart. So if there's one thing that I want you to remember from this preaching and all the times that I've preached is this, is that as Christians, as believers in Christ, those that have experienced the gospel, that it is the gospel's message that we have to bring to the situations that we find ourselves in. And that we hold on to that because that is what Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, that it is the power of God unto salvation. When we look at the how vast the, the universe is, as we look how powerful an ocean is that we all get to see here in this area, as we see how high the mountains are and how how raging the uh, a river can be in a flood or an earthquake or the strike of lightning and we look at that and we say if that is what God has created how much bigger is God himself but it says all of God's power is in the gospel the gospel is the power of God unto salvation that's powerful and that's what's most important most important at the end of the day is that people come to know Christ and the most beautiful message is the gospel that he didn't leave us here just to say I'm condemned I'm caught and there's nothing that can be done but he actually takes our place in being the one that's caught and takes our place for the punishment of what that is and gives us new life and a new heart and that's why it's really good news that we must share and we must hold on to, and we must keep at the center of our lives every day and all the time. Because it's a very loving thing, where despite of what people will say, don't let it turn into an argument. The easiest way for when it starts to become like, oh, you're one of those religious people. Oh, you're just a, you know, X, Y, and Z. They just want to label you right away and condemn you and put you down and say that you're against this and you're against that. All you have to tell them is, you know what? I'm the worst one in this room. I'm the one that's caught in adultery. You can even share that story. There was a woman that was brought, she was caught in the act of adultery. That's me. I'm caught, I'm busted. Anything good you see is Jesus. And I need God to forgive me of my sins. That's all I have to say. 
I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. But I just want to let you know that if you've never sinned, then you're ready to cast that first stone and go ahead, cast it at me. Cast it at all of us here. I don't know. I've never met anybody that's never done wrong. And God is not here to condemn us because we're already guilty. Why would he come and tell us we're guilty when we know we're guilty? But he came to save us. He came to give us forgiveness. And when we realize that we've been truly forgiven and there's nothing that we need to do to, to achieve that, then all of a sudden we are free to love God and love our neighbor because we got the most beautiful treasure of all, which is being accepted and loved by the Father. We're rescued by him. I hope this encourages you, church, and I hope this helps to, to, to keep us focused on what's most important, and that is the gospel. That doesn't mean that we don't engage in some of these conversations and acknowledge the pains and the hurts and acknowledge the one that's caught in the situation that they're in. But don't forget to look around at those that have the stones and know that they also need mercy and they also need grace and they also need the truth. But they're sinners as well, just like I'm a sinner. That's the hope that we have. That's what matters most. Making one disciple at one time. If we could, if we could make one disciple, if God could use us to reach out and make one disciple, one person to receive the gospel in that conversation out of a hundred people there. Bible says all of heaven rejoices over that. That means that you have stopped a multitude of sins. That means that that person that comes to know Christ could have a new heart and a new mind. And that's where all these things that we are wanting to see made right start to become right. Could you imagine a police officer that has been perpetuating brutality comes to Christ? Could you imagine a lawmaker that has been, been paid off that has been used to, to, to be able to um, take advantage of people and in their situations now comes to Christ and has a new heart and wants to repent of that. We find that in the book in the New Testament, uh, I believe it's Zacchaeus, where he turns around and he gives back to those that he took advantage of and I think four times more or whatever it is. I might be misquoting it, but I know he gives back to them. That's what the gospel does. That's what our aim is. Right? Our aim is to for people to come to know Christ. Because even if they're the thief on the cross and they have no time to make things right, they're dying that night, they come to know Jesus. Wouldn't you want to be next to Jesus as a thief on the cross, knowing that you cannot get off the cross and all you have is to face the eternal judgment for all the things that you've done wrong and you know you're guilty because you're nailed to the cross? So even if it's for the thief on the cross or someone walking next to you, share the gospel. That's the most important. We only got so much time on this earth. We only got so much time and resources. We've got, you know, our hands, our feet, our eyes, our mouth. Use them. Let God use them. Ask him to lead you to speak the gospel to someone today. All of us have been appalled that have been against God's people at one time or another. Some of us are there right now. Those are contemplating being against other Christians and God's people in the name of being right. When there ain't one of us right. Not one of us. We all need God's mercy and grace. I hope this helps. God bless you all. Hope to see you soon.
keep reading the Bible, keep getting your time with Jesus in our daily uh, reading plan, share it with each other, encourage one another, call each other up, connect, be that church to one another, and spread the gospel. Speak to someone about Jesus today. All right, church, God bless you.